0: Good morning, Machia's family. It's been so nice. Uh, We haven't been here a lot. I've been preaching at some other places, but to hear Ron's messages brings me back to when Carol and I first came here in 1990, and then to realize that it's been 30 some years, and we both look a lot older now. But it really does feel like family, um, and I am absolutely privileged to be up here with you today. It's also a hard day for me. Um, it's an interesting God's provision, God's providence. I had developed a three-part message to share with the people in Skykomish, where I was going to be preaching for three weeks in a row. And it happened to be on having joy in the midst of trials. Imagine that, God. Um, You know, this has been a tumultuous time for our Machias Church family, for us as well. Some of the people that I have reached out to and, and that have reached out to me know of some of the issues that we've been going through in our family as well some very serious things that we've been dealing with. And then just two weeks ago, Friday, we got word that my brother had passed away at work suddenly. And he was 47. And I didn't get a chance to say goodbye. So it's been really hard. But then I look back... And I see that the, the preparation that God had given me for this time, I had prepared this series months ago when Tony Bittner had asked me what I fill in at, at Skykomish. And I see that God had his hand in this. Let me read for you from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Peter an apostle to Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the providences of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours." in abundance. Praise be to God our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith "...are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though for now a little while you may have had to have suffered grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, which is greater than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, I don't know what that sounds like to you. I don't know what you see there. But to me, this is an unbelievably wonderful gift from God. Let's pray. Um, Father, we, uh, we ask at this time That you, through the power of the Holy Spirit that you gave in each one of your children, be transformed by the wonderful truth that you have put in your word for us. That this time we might be listeners and hearers and doers of the word. And that this great gift that you have given us in this passage will be opened and put to use. We pray that in your Son's great and holy name. Amen. How to live victoriously in the midst of trial without losing hope, joy, or becoming bitter. Which is one commentator's opening remarks on the book of Peter, 1 Peter. 1 Peter was written by Peter, somewhere around 45 to 50 A.D., and the Christian church at the time was going through some major persecution by the Roman government. The emperor Nero was accusing Christians of burning Rome. Many feel because he had done it himself and he needed someone to blame it on. He had burned Rome, they said, possibly because he was obsessed with buildings things in his own image. He was very entrenched into uh, the Greek culture, and he wanted to rebuild the city of Rome using Greek architecture and Greek icons. And so he burnt it, they say, but needing someone to blame it on, he blamed it on the Christians, uh, who were a pretty popular scapegoat at the time. Uh, many of the things that Christian Family, especially Christian families, went against the culture of the Roman uh, culture then, and so there was. They were under heavy persecution, and Peter was writing this letter to different churches. This is not uh, addressed to specific church we saw, but the at the beginning uh, to God's elect scattered throughout, and so Christians had been. Moving out, and they had moved out of Jerusalem in the persecution. And God was using this as God works all things together for the good of those who love Him, those who've been called according to His purpose. And I can only imagine a bunch of Christians who have decided to go against their culture and follow Christ and then be tracked down and killed in various ways by Romans. And they must be thinking, God, what did you have in mind here? Why is this Christianity so hard? We're trying to serve you. We're trying to be faithful to you. And this is what we get. And yet God was using this persecution to spread Christianity throughout the known world because God is much more interested in making you holy than he is in making you happy. But however, the gift that I saw in this passage was that joy is available in the midst of the unspeakable and the unthinkable. But you'll have to I have to be honest, I'm having a hard time opening the present and taking it along. I'm still struggling to find the joy. But this particular passage that God has had me studying for the last three months glowed like a light from the pages of my Bible as I was seeking some place to find comfort in the midst of the unthinkable. So I opened my Bible as I was studying for this, and some things popped out in different places. One in 1 Thessalonians five sixteen through 18. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. It's easy to say... It's easy maybe even to do a little bit when things are going well in your life, but that's not the connotation here. The connotation is be joyful always. Joy is not something that is linked to circumstances. If it were, it would be very fleeting at best. It is based, this confidence, this feeling of wellness, this peace, comes from who God is, who you are in Christ, what God is doing, what God has done, and what God is going to do in your life, and it is based on that, not on what is happening. Every single human being is going to have at least two phases of their existence. One here in this life, and one here or two. I think there's an intermediate place where we go, waiting the final resurrection. So you could kind of say maybe there's three. But this life is completely different than the next one joy will be an automatic for those that are children of God in the next life no eye has seen no ear has heard no mind can conceive of the wonderful things that God has prepared for those who love him it tells us in first corinthians there won't be any problems having joy because there won't be any trials And all of the needs that you have, that God created you to have, will be completely fulfilled in Christ as we live with him. But this life is not that way. In this life, we are broken, others around us are broken, and the world and the creation we live in is broken, and many times it hurts. But God says... Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks, not for, but in all circumstances, because I died that you might have joy today. I died that you might have joy in the great by and by, in the next phase of your existence which will be no problem i will fix all that is broken including you including where you live in the new heaven in the new earth with the glorified bodies we will not have a problem maybe the only problem we'll have is how do we just deal with the great amount of joy and satisfaction that we have finally realizing our original design to be intimate with God, with no sin. Okay, so that's coming, but that's not now. That's not now. Now it hurts. But if we see who God is and who we are in Christ, we have the promises of scripture that take our eyes off of the things that we are experiencing in this life and put them on many of the things that are unseen, but that are our reality now, peace and joy and confidence can be had in the midst of the worst Kind of trial. I think back, and all of you have heard the song, It Is Well With My Soul, and the backstory of the man who had lost his wife and two daughters and went there on a ship back to England and went to the place where the ship had sunk. And the ship that he was sailing on stopped, and he he got to observe it, and he wrote that song, It Is Well With My Soul. In in the midst of trials, When he said, the sorrow was billowing over like a wave, and I felt that two weeks ago. I can't handle this, Lord. And he said, that's right. You don't have to. I died that I might take that from you. Okay. So I saw this. So we need to start in verse 7. And verse 7 says this, or I'm sorry, verse 6. In this, or through all of these, in all of this you greatly rejoice. In all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer griefs of all kinds of trials. Okay, so in all of this was a description of what was talked about in verses 1 through 5. And so he says, in all of this, when you, uh, you recognize all of these things, then rejoice. The joy is to be found, and that word rejoice in that particular context is the Greek word agaleo, which means to jump for joy and be glad with exceeding joy. And so what Peter is telling them is, if you go back and recognize the description of the things that I have just told you is your reality in Christ, rejoice in those, even though now for a little while, perspective, a little while, you have had to suffer griefs. And that word for grief is Lupeo, which means a heaviness and a sadness and a sorrow. God knows that life is hard. He tells us God comes alongside those who are brokenhearted. He has a special place in his heart. As the incarnate Son of God, Jesus experienced betrayal and pain and hunger and thirst And probably some frustration with his disciples after he had done so many wonderful things and they still didn't understand who he was. But God says in the Psalm 23, I will lead you beside still waters and into green pastures. And even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, fear no evil because I am with you. And so we look at this and we see God knows what we are going through. And yet, if we look at our reality, and they are mostly things you cannot see, but only through the eyes of faith. But let me go through that list of those things that He is telling you and me this is your reality in this life now where the pain exists. Think on this, look at this, and you will find joy in the midst of pain. And so I've, I've broken them down into four categories for you. As I briefly mentioned already, number one, who we are in Christ. Number two, what God has already done for us. Number three, what God is doing for us right now. And number four, what God is going to do. And we're going to have to hustle through these. Who are we in Christ? Well, let's look at verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, writing, writing this to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the providences, and then he names the providences. God's elect You, as a child of God, were chosen before the foundation of the world and known. Here's the thing, and we're going to look at it also says later through uh, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. And we could go down a very long rabbit trail about election and who chooses who, and I have a definite perspective on that, and I believe God chooses us, and it isn't just because he looks down the corridors of time and sees who's going to choose him, and that foreknowledge, then, okay, I'll choose you. No, I don't believe that's the way this is, but this, I can tell you, the the Bible tells us that before the foundation of the world, I knew you, That were my own. And that doesn't mean I just knew about you. It means I knew you intimately and I chose you. And so therefore you have an identity that has been assigned and not earned. You are a child of God and you didn't have to work for it. God did everything necessary and he chose each one of you before he even created the world to be his child and exist with him in intimacy forever in eternity. Now, not everyone in this world, in this life, is going to acknowledge you as special like that, and they may say, look, the more I know you, the least I'm going to choose you. But don't we all want to be known? Don't we just want to be known intimately? The thing is now, sometimes the more people know us intimately, the worse we look, And so we put on airs, and we we, we try to be somebody we're not, so others will like us and accept us. But this you can know for sure. God knows everything you have ever said, done, thought, or will do, and he loved you anyway enough to die for you. That makes you special. My mom says, what makes you special? You're a child of God. That God loves you, and that's what makes you special. You are a child of God, and that is one of the things that helps us to find joy. That God, even though he knew me, all the knuckle-headed stuff I was going to do, all of the things, the mistakes I was going to make, all the times I would trip and fall and fail, God says, I know all that about you. I love you anyway. The next thing it says is that we're exiles, and that's strangers, and that's another Greek word. I don't want to bore you with a bunch of Greek words, but it is, it is a word um, basically that means alien or stranger. And so we recognize that once we became child, a child of God, we really no longer belong here. And we know that. And others know it too, and it's becoming more and more apparent in our culture that as we move along, Christianity is moving farther and farther away from what our culture deems acceptable. And so we recognize that there is some pain now in being a Christian, but we would have to apologize to a lot of people who are out there, brothers and sisters in Christ, who are giving their lives for their faith, and we might just get a bad look or somebody says nasty something about us on Facebook but nonetheless you don't belong here and that's part of your identity but the next identity or the next thing that god has said who we are is in verse 4 where it says that i'm going to inherit that i'm an heir God is saying, look, this is who you are. You belong to me, and when that happened, when you became one of my children, you have no idea how great that is going to be, especially now. Because right now, in this world, you will have trouble. Right now, you are under attack from Satan at times. Right now, the things that you believe about me and the stands that you take about me, for me may cause you pain, but I'm telling you, look down the road, because you are an heir of an inheritance that I am keeping for you, which we're going to talk about. If you were an heir to Bill uh, Gates's fortune, you think that would have an effect upon your outlook on the future? I mean, maybe. I don't think it really is making him happy. But nonetheless, as an illustration, knowing where we're going, knowing where, what, and where and what we're going to have, God is saying can give you joy in trials. You are an heir. Okay, what has God done already? Verse 2. He has sprinkled us with his blood. You know the reference to that, what that's talking about? Moses, as he was confirming the covenant, took the sacrificial blood from the sacrificial lamb and sprinkled it on the people of Israel to confirm the covenant that God had made with them. So what has God done for you? He has confirmed the covenant that he has made with you and made you the promise. And he did it at the cost of the life of his son. That should bring us joy. He also has shown us his mercy in verse 3. Praise be to God In the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in His great mercy He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, if you... You can't do this, but if you possibly could do this, if you could just be alongside someone who dies and they're not covered by the blood of Jesus Christ and you could see the existence in which they were going... you would understand the value of the mercy of God. To know not just how wonderful it is that the place is that you're going, but to recognize the depth of the despair in going somewhere else. I think we would be a lot more grateful for what we've been given. If we had even an inkling of what the next level of our existence would be without Christ we would all be rejoicing to the heavens thank you God that is what I deserved every bit of that and more and yet you have a completely different plan for my life and my eternal existence but when it's hard here, it's not easy to think about that, is it? Because now we're here and now it hurts. But God has said, I have shown you mercy and I have caused you to be born again to a new living hope through Jesus Christ. And so he not only says, Look, I am not going to give you what you deserve, that's mercy. But instead, I am going to come within you, give you a new heart, take out your heart of stone, put in a heart of flesh, and I will be your God and you will be my people. And you had nothing to do with that. And as I think about that, I think about not only did God save me from hell... But that was his mercy. But in his grace, which he's extending to us even now, he's saying, I am going to lavish upon you this wonderful new existence. And you didn't have to pay for any of it. And it says he lavishes his grace upon what, what wonderful love the Father has lavished on us that we might be called children of God. I have to think about that. I have to think about that when times are tough. I have to think about that when the world comes crashing down about around me that I have someplace else to go. That God has another plan for my life and it is unbelievable and he has saved me from the life I really deserved which was an eternity in hell. That's what we deserved and yet God said no. And I paid Think about that when times are hard. Think about that. I don't know if it's your turn yet, and it's not a competition. But if you aren't going through trial right now, you will. Where do you go with your pain and your grief when life gets too hard? God says you go to my word and you read the promises and you understand the reality of your situation and you find a joy there. I've done so much for you. I am doing so much for you and I am going to do so much for you. Focus on that. Keep your hearts on things above. This plane is difficult. There are twists in the road. There are things that come out of left field. There are things you never saw coming, but I did. But keep your eyes on me. I have done so much for you, and I love you. There is a combination of things that is unbelievably valuable, and it's this. God is in complete control of everything. He's absolutely sovereign. And number two, he loves you like mad. That is an unbeatable combination. And he looks down at his child and he understands how hard it is. And he inhabits and indwells us in our grief. Because God is good. We also look at what he's going to do. or let's look, well, we're running out of time. He's guarding our inheritance, it says in verse 4. He's giving us grace and peace right now. That's what it says in verse 2. He's sanctifying us, which it also says in verse 2, which means, guess what? Not only did I save you, not only did I keep you from going to hell, not only have I given you a new heart, but I am in there every day working to reconstruct you and transform you back into the original design, which was the image of Christ, and I will never stop. Think about that when times get hard. Think about how stubborn you might be like me. Think about how often you've been uncooperative with God, and yet he says, all right, we'll just wait. We'll just wait and see because I will never, ever leave you or forsake you. I will never give up on you. As many times as you turn back and go off the path, I will never stop because you have been predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. Think about that when your world caves in. And the things he's going to do, he's got an inheritance, and it says it can never perish, spoil, or fade. It can never be taken away, perish. It can never spoil or be defiled, and it can never diminish. I know some people really have a hard time trying to have confidence because they know their performance doesn't warrant it. They say, okay, I accepted Christ, but I've not really been a very good Christian. I've had some struggles, and so then I doubt myself, and I doubt what's going on. But it says in here, thank God he is holding it for you, keeping it for you, and he will present you, according to the Thessalonians, blameless at the end. Think about that when your world caves in. God is working in you and the end result of your salvation can never be taken away, can never be diminished, can never be spoiled. God is in complete control. And nothing can stop him from giving you what he's already ordained as your inheritance so we work and struggle and strive here in this life trying to please God because we think somehow maybe it's going to put us to the front of the line or boy if he gets tired of me he's going to kick me out of heaven thank God that is not true think of that when the windstorm comes and blows a tree on top of your house that didn't happen to me by the way but it did happen. Stuff we just don't see coming out of nowhere. And they are, there, are, there are anxiety and stress and despair possibilities abundant in this life. But God is in control. And according to these promises in verses 1 through 5, I can rejoice In all of those and find the joy that God intends it requires refocusing on the things that are real but can't be seen it requires understanding and being knowledgeable of the promises that God has given us in his word and relying on them It requires seeing the things in faith that don't make sense now, but are told to us in the inerrant word of God. So just as a conclusion, we can go on to, and I didn't put this in there uh, on the scripture, but isn't it fascinating how God puts his own conclusion right in there in the next two verses? And he says this in verses 8 and 9, Though you have not seen him, you love him. See, what he's saying is, you don't see Jesus. He's gone to be with God. But guess what? You still know him and love him because I have given you the faith. And faith is not something you can see. But it is the thing that God dispenses his grace through. And he's given you the faith. By grace you've been saved through faith. This not of yourself, but as a gift of God. Lest any should boast. Ephesians chapter 2. And so he's asking us and he's telling us, this is the conclusion. See, if you want to find this joy and you're going to go back to the promises in verses 1 through 5. Here is how that works. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Praise God! The promises of God are there, and sometimes we don't see them. But when you rely on them, you own them. And then finally it says, For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And see, that's why this is the big picture. This is we have to be looking at the big picture because the here and now and the, the immediate circumstances oftentimes are incredibly and sometimes overwhelmingly painful. And so my eyes have to be on not what's happening now, but what is going to happen as God has already taken care of the salvation. Of my soul. Praise God, let's pray. Dear Lord, we are, we, we are so, mm, boy, we're so easily led into taking things for granted and we don't understand, and it's so easily distracted by the things and the conditions of this world that we neglect to take the opportunity for the joy that is rightfully ours because of the things you have already done are doing now and are going to do lord help us all focus on that and not just in bad times lord but in all times so that we can among all people be joyful as a representative of you as we See and show to the entire world that it's serious that we believe who you are and what you've done. And because of that, we are joyful even when life hurts as a testimony to who you are and to bring you the glory. And Father, help me, me, to glorify you by finding joy in this time that that would be a testimony not to me, but to you. Praise God. In Jesus' name. Amen.